All right, now, in the last week, how many of you remember we began a brand new series here at church? It's called Prayers That Make a Difference, Prayers That Made a Difference. And so in this series, we're looking at people in the Bible who talked with God, who prayed key prayers at key moments that moved the hand of God and made a difference in the situation. And remember, the purpose of this series is not just to give you a nice series to listen to and go, oh, wow, that was really nice, right? It's to encourage you to renew your prayer life, to encourage you to pray prayers, to talk to God this year, pray prayers in 2021 that make a difference. And so I hope that this last week you've been hearing from God in his word and that you've been talking with him about what you've seen in his word and praying some prayers about things that really matter. That's my hope for you, all right? And so this week, we're going to be looking at a guy in the Bible whose name is Elijah. So would you all turn with me for a second to James chapter 5? And while you're turning there, let me ask you, when I bring up Elijah the prophet, I mean, what do you think of? What images come to your mind? I mean, do you, do you think of the guy who stood before kings? Do you think of the guy who, who stopped up the heavens by his prayer life and who then later uh, caused it to rain by his prayer life? And do you think of the guy who raised a widow woman's son from the dead? Or maybe the guy who, uh, in that great contest with the uh, prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, the guy who called fire down from heaven. Or maybe um, the guy who, when it was his time to go on to the other side, instead of dying like everybody else does, instead a chariot of fire showed up and gave him a personal ride to the other side. Do you think of a guy like that? Do you think of a, uh, of a man who's just different? than other people, a man who's just on another level spiritually. Well, look at James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 for a second. He says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And some translations say that he was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so James, in this passage that these verses are taken from, he's, he's calling the church, that is the redeemed people of God, he's calling them to prayer and to worship, to communication with God. So in verse 13, he had said, you know, is anyone among you in trouble? Well, let them pray. And then he went on to say, is anyone happy? Well, let them sing songs of praise. And then he says, is, is any among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And so whatever is going on in your life, whether you're in trouble or whether you're sick or even if you're happy and things are going really great, whatever is going on in your life, you should be communicating with God in prayer or in, or, or in worship or in praise, right? He's pretty much saying that whatever's going on, pray, communicate with God. And to encourage them that way, he then uses Elijah, the great power prophet Elijah, as an example. Now, don't rush over that. It might be easy to rush over that, right? But, but this is really big. This is huge. I mean, because it's easy to look at people in the Bible as if there's something other, right? To look at these great heroes of the faith, the apostles and the, and the prophets and, and these other heroes of the faith, as though there's something other. Like they're on some spiritual plane up here that we can never attain to. But the apostle Paul said that all of these things in the Old Testament happened to them as examples for us so that we would know what it is to live a life of faith, to live faithfully before the Lord. The author of Hebrews, he lists all of these amazing uh, people of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, God's hall of faith, 
not so that we can just marvel at them and go, oh, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that, that just awesome? But it's so that, he says, we can throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily besets us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so James says that Elijah is our example. So I want you to notice two things in this passage about Elijah, and then we're going to look a little bit more closely at the prayers that he prayed. All right? So first notice this. First, Elijah is a man with a nature like ours. He's a man just like us. He's not so different than us. He has the same challenges. He has the same motivations. He's got the same internal stuff going on inside him that we have to deal with, right? And, uh, and what that tells us is that he's not superhuman. The prayer life and the communion with God that he had is not something that's unattainable. It tells that if our prayer life is lacking power or if it's lacking intimacy with God, it's not because we don't have the capacity for those things. It's something else. Elijah's just like us. And then look at the phrase, he prayed earnestly. The language there is literally that he prayed with prayer, or that praying he prayed. It's kind of a Hebrew figure of speech that means earnestly or fervently or intensely. It's like when Jesus told his disciples, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you. It means earnestly and fervently that he had desired to eat that Passover with them. Earnestly and fervently, Elijah prayed. There was some intensity to the prayer. And you know, I don't think that we should interpret that to mean that, you know, there's some secret that if I just reach the right pitch or the right fervent pitch, then that's when God will notice. Or if I do the right contortions, then, then, then God will notice me then or something like that. I don't think we should interpret it like that. But I do think we should interpret it to mean that there should be some degree of intensity, some degree of earnestness and fervency in our prayers. Our prayers shouldn't be kind of lackadaisical, laissez-faire kinds of utterances, right? And notice that when James says this about this earnest prayer, this fervent prayer, it's in the context of praying over somebody who's sick, in the context of praying over someone who's in trouble or when, or when you're in trouble. That's the context of it. You know, can I tell you, Boy, if I never hear another prayer again that sounds something like, oh, dear God, God, you see this horrendous, terrible situation this person is in, so would you please consider the possibility of putting it on heaven's agenda to consider doing something about this sometime in the future. But in the meantime, would you just help give them the grace to deal with all the agony of all this and maybe help them find the right doctor and the right medication so that some of the... um, Symptoms can be abated a little bit. Oh, my goodness. Dear Jesus, please give us a little more faith than that. Somebody say amen to that. You know, when people come for prayer, right, uh, for for healing, for those types of things, you know, they've already been to a doctor. I mean, they know about doctors. They don't need us to tell them about doctors and those types of things. And God bless doctors and nurses, right? Amen? And for the wisdom that God gives them, they're a blessing from God. You know, but when they come for prayer, let's go with fervency to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and ask him to get involved. Amen? Amen. And I know that, uh, you know, there's a place. There's a place like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to, to, to come to a place where you play, you know what, not my will but yours be done, God, right? There's a place of surrender to God's will when we realize that, you know, maybe God's plan 
um, isn't lining up with what I wanted, and we pray, not my will, but yours be done. But notice that that prayer that Jesus prayed came at the end of some very intense prayer. And right, so it comes at the end, not at the beginning. We don't use that as an excuse to skip over intense and fervent prayer. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. Praise God. That's good preaching. <laughs> Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed fervently. All right, now let's turn. I want to begin to look at Elijah's story and, and see what we can glean uh, for our own prayer life and relationship with God. All right, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain during these years except by my word. Okay, so Elijah here, Elijah just bursts onto the scene. I mean, this is the first mention of Elijah in the Bible, and we find that he's confronting the king of Israel, And he's, he's giving him a revelation about what is about to happen in the land. And this was a time of spiritual darkness. The people had forsaken the covenant. They had forsaken God. Ahab was a wicked and self-absorbed king. And his wife, Queen Jezebel, was a wicked, conniving, manipulative power behind the throne who hated God and despised his people. So it's a difficult and it's a dark time in the land. And God here announces to the king that he's stepping in. There's going to be a judgment coming, and he wants the king to clearly understand that what is about to happen is from his hand. He wants to get his people's attention in the hope that they will turn back to him and that his hand of favor can return to them. And so notice a few things about this. First, look at the phrase, before whom I stand. So the the idea is this. When an official stands before a king, he stands there for two purposes, for two reasons. The first is to hear what the king says, to hear what the king wants, what are the king's wishes. And the second is to then go out and make that happen, to go out and perform the king's wishes. It's kind of like when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to announce the the birth of John the Baptist. And and Zechariah had some trouble believing, and Gabriel said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. It's kind of like Gabriel saying, you know, I'm not here because it's my day off, and I just want to mess with you. He said, I I, I got this by standing in God's presence and have come here because of that to give you this message. This, This message is direct from him. And so the idea, when Elijah says, before whom I stand, he's saying that this message is not just something that I'd like to see happen or some idle threat meant to scare you. He he says, I received this by standing in the presence of Almighty God. This is God's pronouncement. I'm just here to make sure that you get the message. And so if we're going to pray prayers that make a difference, we need to stand in the presence of God of God. Hear what God has to say. You know, that, and that means we, we don't just rush into him with like a laundry list of things that we'd like him to do, you know, and kind of say, hey God, I've got this list here. I'm just going to leave it right over here. Uh, okay, you just get to it like, when, you know, as soon as you can. And uh, hey, listen, I'm kind of busy, so I'm going to run out here. And Hey, love you, and I'll see you tomorrow, all right? That's not standing in the presence of God. 
We need to enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Then we need to listen to him in his word. We need to do like the psalmist did when he said, I will listen to what God the Lord says. Then we lay our request before him. Okay, that's the scriptural pattern, right? That's why Jesus taught his disciples when his disciples wanted to know how to pray. First he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's praise. That's worship. And then he says, your kingdom come and your will be done. That's listening to God, listening to his purpose and saying, God, what are your ideas for my life? And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. That's requests and petitions. And, and, and surely, you know, we do eventually get to requests and petitions. God wants to hear them. I mean, he loves you. He cares about you, right? He says, cast all your cares on me because he cares for you. We get to that. But first comes worship and praise, then listening to the word of God, and then requests. And I believe that if we'll get this right, if we'll get this pattern right as the body of Christ, as the redeemed people of God, it will go a long way to helping us pray prayers that made a difference in 2021. Elijah says, received wisdom from God in prayer about what was going on in his world. You know, when you're hearing from God in his word, when, when you're communicating with God in prayer, when you stand before God, like Elijah did, one of the things that you'll find often happens is that God gives you wisdom. God gives you insight into stuff that's going on in your world, you know? And I'm not talking here, by the way, about wild prophecies and things like that. I mean, I think I've had just about enough of wild prophecies that people make, and everyone's following this prophet or that prophet, and, uh, and they don't come to pass, and then they just go on to the next thing and, and ignore that, right? I'm not talking about those types of things, right? I'm talking about hearing from God in his word and letting the Holy Spirit apply that to your situation. And then next, notice this in this verse, that Elijah is speaking to the king. That is, to the representative of the culture, of the nation. God wants the nation to know what's going on here. Now, you may not ever speak to a king, right? You may not speak to the president or to senators or to representatives or governors or even local representatives. You may never speak to them, right? You may never have any face time with them. But God does want the body of Christ to speak to our culture, to speak to the nation, as it were. He wants the people of the nation to understand what he is doing. He wants the people who surround us to understand that he's calling them, that he loves them, that he's got grace and mercy and kindness for, for everyone who will turn to him in humility and repentance and faith. God wants them to understand that, to understand what's going on in the world. And, uh, you know, you may not stand before a king, but all of you will stand before someone. All of us interact with people. And the question is, Will you stand before the culture in your own wisdom, in your own ideas, in your own strength? Or will you stand before them like Elijah did, having stood before the presence of the Lord Almighty, the King of Kings? The body of Christ stands in the presence of our culture to communicate God's message. And then next, notice this as well. Right? In this case, the announcement from Elijah wasn't good news. I mean, it's probably not anything that any of the godly people who were left in the land wanted to hear, right? It wasn't anything that they were praying for. I mean, who prays for three and a half years of drought? Any of you ever prayed a prayer like that? 
right? Who prays that the economy will be terrible? None of you have prayed anything like that before, right? I mean, no one's praying for that, right? I mean, it would have meant that crops would be terrible or non-existent, livestock would die, maybe some people would die, and it would be a terrible time, not only for the ungodly, but for the godly as well. And, you know, it would not be surprised if some of the godly people in the land who were left in the land were, when they heard this from the great prophet Elijah, began to pray and ask God, God, what's going on, God? Are you forsaking us? What in the world? Do we have to suffer the same thing as the ungodly are suffering? You know, when God allows some difficulty on a nation or a people to try to get their attention, sometimes the people of God have to walk through the very same things, the very same difficulties. You know, but as the story unfolds, we're going to see that God provided for his people. And not only, by the way, for this great prophet Elijah, like he's somebody special. We're going to see that God provided also for all of those unnamed faithful people of God as well. And we see that play out in the next several verses and throughout the chapter. Verses 2 to 6, God sends Elijah to a brook on the other side of the Jordan River. And he commands the ravens there to bring food to him. And this goes on for a while until the brook dries up. And then in verse 9, God then tells him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so then this amazing story unfolds in the next several verses. Elijah goes to Zarephath and encounters this woman. And, And of course, the first thing he does is ask for some water, some very precious water and a piece of bread. And the woman explains to him, that all she has is this handful of flour and a little oil, and her plan was just to gather some sticks and then make a one last loaf of bread, and then uh, she and her son would eat it, and then they're going to die. That was the plan. I mean, she's really feeling the effects of this drought here. But Elijah gives her hope. He says, you know, don't be afraid. Go ahead, make me the bread, and, and make something for yourself and your son. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And so she goes ahead and she does what Elijah instructed. And guess what? A miracle happens. Day after day, week after week, month after month, she keeps going back to that that jar of flour. And there's one more scoop still left down in there to that that, uh, uh, vat of oil. And there's just, just, just enough oil again to make a meal for that day. God is providing. I mean, they're not living high on the hog, but God is providing. They're getting by. But in the middle of all this, all this amazing provision, something happens. Something tragic happens. And I want to zoom in on it for a minute because it will give us a little more insight into Elijah's prayer life. Look at verse 17. It says, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse. And finally, stopped breathing. You know, sometimes things like this happen. Tragedies like this happen. I mean, you're in the middle of what looks like a time of favor and blessing, and then all of a sudden, tragedy strikes. And so here she is, managing to get by day by day in the middle of all of this difficulty, and it looks like, you know, they're going to make it when suddenly her son gets sick and dies, not from the famine, of all things, but from something else. And and it makes no sense. I mean, he's young, he's strong. I mean, this shouldn't have happened. What is going on here? And and you can see her anguish in her response to Elijah when she says, verse 18, "What, what, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? 
And so Elijah takes him in his arms and brings him up to the room where he's staying and laid him on the bed. And then in verse 20, it says that Elijah says, Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And notice here that Elijah really doesn't seem to know what's going on here. I mean, he stands in the presence of God, right? And God talks to him, but it doesn't look like God told him about this. This seems to take him by surprise. There seems to be some dismay and confusion in his prayer. God, I'm saying with this widow, her husband's already died. They almost died. And, and now you've been providing for them and for me, and it's been great. And now this happens. What's going on here? Even the great prophet Elijah had stuff happen that was tragic and unexpected and that he struggled to understand. You know what? There will be times in our life, even when we stand before God, even when we're faithful to stand before God and hear from him in his word and be a person of prayer, there will be times that stuff happens that surprises you, that you, you just don't understand. I mean, you're not God. You don't see everything, right? And God doesn't tell us everything all the time. Even the great prophet Elijah had stuff happen that was unexpected and tragic, and he struggled to understand it. But notice this. He doesn't know what's going on, but he knows who to go to. First, he goes to God looking for wisdom in verse 20, and then in verse 21, it says this. It says, Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Now, I don't think this happened quickly. I, mean, I don't think this was the type of thing where, you know, Elijah just threw himself on the boy and rather quickly repeated this sentence here. Lord my God, let this boy, boy's life return to him like some type of ritual or something like that. I mean, I think the sense of the passage is that um, Elijah is in grief uh, along with this woman. And, and in grief, he throws himself on the boy and begins to cry out for a while. God, let this boy's life uh, return to him. Don't let this stand. And after a while, he gets up, and the boy is still there, lifeless. And so he throws himself on him again, crying out again, God, let this boy's life come back on him. He's crying out to God. And then he steps back again, and the boy is still lifeless. And so the third time, he throws himself on him again, and he's crying out to God, God, let this young boy's life return to him. God, don't let this tragedy stand. And this time, this time in verse 22, something different happens. It says, the Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Amen. Hallelujah, right? Now, what are we supposed to take from this? I would take from it that there's some doctrine that says, you know, everyone who dies should be raised to life by prayer or something like that, right? Uh, you know, it's not every day that someone's raised from the dead, right? I mean, it does happen. It's happened in the Bible several times, right? And, and, and throughout history. And I think even our day, there's, there's been some amazing testimonies. And times when many people uh, were witnesses of someone coming back to life again after being dead for several days, right? I mean, it happens. But, you know... Um, some people teach, though, that that type of thing should be happening every day. If we just had faith, that would be happening every day all across the globe. And you know what? I don't really think so. 
You know, you may accuse me of not having faith, not having enough faith, but I mean, look at the, look at the book of Acts for a minute. The book of Acts, there are, I think, two recorded times when someone was raised from the dead. It was, one was with Paul, and one was with Peter. The book of Acts encompasses a time period of about 30 years. And so in that 30-year history of the early church, with the apostles ministering, we have uh, an account of two times when someone was raised from the dead. And, and praise God for that, right? And praise God when, if that happens again, right? And uh, when God wants to do that, may we have faith for that. But it doesn't seem to be, it seems like, like, like most often, the normal experience is that people live their life, then they die, even sometimes tragically, and they stay dead. So what are we to get from this? Well, here's what I'm getting from this. First, the church, the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, ought to be the people in the community who will cry out to God in the face of tragedy, in the face of the most difficult situation. It ought to be the follower of Jesus who steps up and says, you know what, I will pray about that. I, I believe there's a living God in heaven who cares for you, who cares for this situation, and I'm going to pray and talk to God about that. It ought to be the body of Christ that's known for that. We cry out for that. And not only, by the way, for those in the church, but also for those outside of the church. Look at this situation. This widow woman, she's not an Israelite. She wouldn't have been considered one of the people of God. But yet Elijah prays earnestly and intensely for her and for her son, has compassion on her anyway. You know, when the people in the world who don't know God are facing difficulty and tragedy and calamity and trial and whatever else is coming against them, it ought to be the follower of Jesus who steps up and says, I will cry out to God over this for you. They ought to know that when they're in a tragedy and a difficulty, they can go to the follower of God and get them to pray over the situation. And then secondly, these prayers from the body of Christ, they ought to be fervent and earnest. The way Elijah cried out to God for this young boy on behalf of his mother. May God give us a heart to cry out for the activity of God in the lives of those who are in need. Those who, like James says in our passage, are in trouble. You know, in, in, in our passage, James says that we should pray for one another. In Galatians, it says that we should bear one another's burdens. In Hebrews, it says, remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. Paul says that after you put on the full armor of God, you should Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We should pray much. We should pray for many people, believers and non-believers alike. We should pray passionately and earnestly and fervently in the power of the Spirit to the living God. All right, I want you to see just a little bit more in this story. And then we're going to close until next week. Turn the page to chapter 18. Chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab. You know, and I love how this plays out. Right? I want to continue reading it because I think the story is really great. Going on, it says, Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Now here's a new guy, Obadiah. Well, who's this? Well, it's going to tell us. Obadiah 
was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and then supplied them with food and water. Now, that's something. I mean, Obadiah has my respect here. Obadiah, he's like the king's chief of staff. And, and his bosses, the king and queen, are wicked and vile people. They hate God, they hate Yahweh and his covenant, and they're trying to systematically remove the worship of God from the kingdom and eliminate those who teach the worship of God from the kingdom. And Obadiah is in jeopardy just by being a devout worshiper of the Lord. But he multiplies that danger a hundredfold by hiding a hundred of the Lord's prophets. And, and not only that, but he provides them food and water. I mean, that must, think about it. That must have been pretty difficult. I mean, how do you hide the fact that you're providing a hundred people in hiding? When you see that in the next couple of verses, the king himself is looking throughout the land for water so that his livestock won't die. I mean, he's really putting himself in harm's way here. The king is looking for water, and Obadiah is giving it to those the king hates. I mean, this is kind of like Oscar Schindler here, if you've ever seen Schindler's List. This is like those people, these Christians in Nazi Germany, who, who hid Jewish people from the Nazis and helped them to escape. And so I'm impressed with this guy, Eli, uh, Obadiah, here. Then going on in verse 7, it says, As Obadiah is walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, Elijah? And so he's happy to see him. Elijah is a sight for sore eyes, right? And so Elijah responds, yes, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And Obadiah really reacts negatively to this. He says, what have I done wrong? That you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab, and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves. Fifty each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me, go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he'll kill me. And so Obadiah, he doesn't want to go because he's afraid for his life. But Elijah tells him, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. And so Obadiah tells Ahab, and Ahab goes out to meet Elijah, verse 17. He says, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah replied, I have not made trouble for Israel. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. The truth was, it was their idolatry that was creating trouble for Israel. It was their abandonment of the Lord's covenant that had brought on this drought and this famine that was troubling Israel. But Ahab was blaming it on Elijah. Can I tell you that since the day that Cain killed Abel, the ungodly have been blaming the godly for their trouble, for their problems. 
Those who hate God often blame the people of God for what's going wrong. You know, Pharaoh grew afraid of, of the Hebrews, and so he enslaved them. King Saul blamed David for his problem. Here Ahab blames Elijah. The leaders of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day, they blamed Jeremiah for the Babylonians who were surrounding the city. In Zerubbabel's day, the ungodly falsely accused the temple builders of plotting an insurrection. Uh, several decades later, they tried to do the same thing to Nehemiah. Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. The Nazis blamed the Jewish people for the problems that Germany faced. You know, and even today, in much of the world, even in America, we've already seen some people in the media and in government, not everybody, by the way, not everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but enough to take notice who blamed Christians in part for the spread of COVID, just for being open to the public for an hour a week, even though we're spread out all over the sanctuary. Well, by the way, saying nothing at the same time about casinos that are open all day long, every day, sometimes with thousands of people gathered. Or even um, protests where hundreds and even thousands of people gather night after night after night. And even after the terrible events at the Capitol last week, a week and a half ago, many in the media, not all by any stretch, but many, rather than just blaming those who actually committed those crimes, broadened their accusations to say that Christians in general were responsible. Did you know that the Washington Post ran a headline that said, evangelicals were complicit in the desecration of our democracy? This in spite of the fact that many evangelicals and evangelical leaders were not only appalled by this behavior, but have clearly and strongly denounced it. And so what I'm saying to you is, you shouldn't be surprised if this trend continues. Where some in our media, maybe even some representatives in our government, blame Christians for whatever, whatever problems that we are facing in our culture at the moment. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that people will insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? And how should we respond to that? Well, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And next week, we're going to continue on with part two of our look at Elijah and see how he responded to it in his situation and see what um, happened in his life and in his prayer life. But in the meantime, I want you to remember this week that Elijah was a man just like us. And so let us be a people who pray just like Elijah. A people who stand before God, who hear God in his word, who do his will, who represent God to the culture, and who will also be a people of prayer, who will pray and intercede to God in the name of Jesus for the people of our culture. I can't promise you that we will always receive everything that we ask for all the time. But there will be times when we also are able to say, like Elijah did, and rejoice like Elijah did, that God worked in a situation and we prayed prayers that made a difference. I believe that if we pray fervently in 2021, we'll be able to look back at the end of this year and see that God moved through his people. Why? Because that verse in James where it says that Elijah was a man just like us, he prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it didn't, and then he prayed again and it rained. Well, the verse right before it says this, the prayer of a righteous person 
is powerful and effective. Say, did you know that if you are right with Jesus, if you've come to him in, 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 in humility and in repentance, in faith, that the Bible says you are a righteous person. Not because, you know, you're so awesome and better than anyone else, but that he's given you the righteousness of Christ. And he's moving in your life. And here it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It makes a difference. Would you all bow with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the example of Elijah in your word. God, thank you that you want to hear from us. God, help us like Elijah. Help us be the kind of people who stand before you and hear you in your word, God, and hear your heart. Help us like Elijah be people who will faithfully represent you to our world. God, help us like Elijah to be people who will pray fervently for the body of Christ, God, for those outside as well when they're in trouble, God, so that those who we come in contact with will know that there's a gracious and loving God who is willing to receive all who will come to him in humility and faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God. Praise God. I pray that you will be that kind of people this week. May God be with you. I want to let you know also, if any of you have any special prayer needs and you just need prayer over something, I'll be available right here after service uh, to pray with you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen.